This is episode 534 of the AWS podcast, released on July 3rd, 2022. Join us for two days of cloud security, identity, compliance, and privacy at AWS Reinforce on July 26th to 27th in Boston, Massachusetts. Go to reinforce.awsevents.com to learn more and register. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lesher here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm not only in the studio, I'm in the studio with an actual living, breathing human being and a very cool one, if I don't mind saying so myself. Welcome to the podcast, Ian Rouse. G'day. Nice to be with you. In person. In person. We're literally looking across at each other, which is bizarre after about two years. Now, Ian is, amongst many things, the general manager for AWS across Australia, New Zealand and Oceania for worldwide public sector. But also, Ian, you've had a, a long and interesting career in executiveness and IT-ness. Mm. Um, do you want to give us a, a quick potted history of the journeys of Ian? Sure. Um, and, and I think the important thing here is today, this is not about me, it's about the journey, right? Yeah, because I yeah. think that we really want to have a conversation with folks to say, in my humble opinion, technologists make the best business leaders. And so if I think about where I started from, I did a business degree that actually majored in software engineering, which is kind of quirky. It's unusual. It's unusual back Kind of quirky. Day, yeah. And so, so, you know, I had to go through uh, torts and contract law and statistical accounting and all the things that I, I really wanted not to ever use again. <laughs> but of course, you find use those things on a daily basis. I started as a programmer. Um, I'm going to age myself disgracefully by saying I started programming Lotus Notes. Oh. Um, and for those that are interested, it's not about the VB macros, it's about how you extend it using C and actually attach external programs. Because we were about to have a big debate about whether you can call programming <laughs> Lotus Notes programming. Yeah, I won't trigger everybody saying it's just a forms-based thing, it's beautiful, because <laughs> it's not, it was actually in C. Um, and then skate forward, skate forward, there was a whole bunch of programming roles, be it loan processing systems and financial services and receivables and making sure that folks got the right money on time for their banking. Um, and at some point there was a there was a real conversation I had in my in my own mind about well where's the earning potential mm. and, and the earning potential was the intersection between the customer acquisition of technology and the provision of technology and so then you start that sort of pre-sales engineering type phase I kind of got a little bit bored of that I really liked working with people I went back into people management um, prior role I spent about 12 years helping a company become a SaaS company mm. and as part of that transition I actually helped at the time a a billion dollar enterprise moved to the cloud. So that's a little bit about me, but that's the context also for the story today, right? Yeah, and, and I think what we're really talking about today is, is probably what's likely to become a uh, an, an infrequent but regular series uh, of um, technology leaders as business leaders and, and the fact that you can be both. And, and I know for a lot of folks, they often struggle with, I'm a developer, but do I be a developer forever? Do I move into people leadership? I don't want to do that. Um, these executives don't know what the hell they're doing. If right. only someone smarter was in charge right. or, or someone who had a clue. So we want to sort of talk about some of the skills that senior leaders have uh, that not just, you know, that, that we've seen work well, but we've observed in some of, some of the biggest and, yes. and the most amazing senior leaders we've seen globally. We're, yes. we're, we're kind of fortunate that we get to see some pretty impressive leaders across all companies, yes. not, not just at AWS. So let's maybe start with that journey. I think there's some things we're going to riff on quite nicely, but what's... What's one of the, the, the insights you wanted to share first up? Sure. Yeah, there's a couple of things I've been thinking about, um, and, and these are repeatable. And so this is about insert name here, I can do this on Monday. So I thought we could bring that to the conversation. Something low, low, low effort, high value. Highly democratised. Yeah. We could all do this on Monday. Right. Um, and the first thing I want to start a conversation about is, is transparency through ceremony. Um, and I'll just give you a, a mental model here to paint a picture. 
you know, when you hear from an executive chairman or from a board that says, hey, we're going to the cloud and Simon's going to work out how to do it. Normally people take a step back and say, huh, well, good luck, Simon. Yeah, <laughs> sucks all, to be you. <laughs> all power to you. And can you do it for free? Um, but, but what that really is is an opportunity. And I've seen time and time again, the leaders who embrace that opportunity and create a ceremony by saying, you know what, at eight o'clock every morning, I'm going to give you a five minute update on how we're going on our move to the cloud. Mm. It's non-technical, it's just progress. Yeah. And everybody in the business is invited. Now, I've seen examples where the stand-up started with that person talking to themselves in a mirror, <laughs> which is okay. Well, they get to practice. You can get through that discomfort, all right? But the, the pieces that, that actually happened for me, which was interesting, was at the end of that process, the weeks before Go Live, there was 80 people in that ceremony. Wow. All interested in the business outcome, and it wasn't about technology. It was about milestones, roadblocks, burn-down time, what resources were required. And I think that's really, really important, right? So that first thing is inclusivity through that transparency, create a ceremony for that. Now, I think I think there's a really interesting human factor there because because you know I think I think as we often talk about, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges of IT is not the technology, it's the people. The people are far more complicated than any high-performance computer or quantum computer you could find, and and they're in the critical path. And at least in my experience, I've found that if you don't know what another group is doing and they don't communicate what they're doing, you tend to think the worst. Right. right. <laughs> There's sort of this assumption of incompetence or maliciousness at its worst. You know, I don't know what's going on. It must be bad. Well, if I can't get an update and no one's telling me what's going on, it has to be a car crash. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. It must be bad. And, be and it's interesting because it's a very human nature thing because I remember um, even, even people who are co-located, I was doing some work... Um, at a vendor or working with a large Australian bank. And they had a storage team and a server team. This was in the mid-range days where you had SANS and mm. Big Iron and they had to talk to one another. Um, but the way the office was laid out, there happened to be some pillars between the teams, like physical posts to mm. hold the mm. roof up. And those teams rarely spoke to each other right. because there was that physical thing. And so is is the ceremony the kind of um, – the hack or the cheat yep. to force people to actually speak to one another and know that there's good intent and Absolutely. good process in play. And, and the reason I'm using ceremony is because I don't want to get into a religious debate about whether it's a Kanban, an Agile, or a waterfall by design process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a deadline. I mean, if you're not in business, there's no deadline, right? So, yeah. obviously, there's a deadline at some point. But it's a meeting point. Yeah. And, and particularly when most organisations are dispersed across floors – Mm. And IT typically is seen as a silo where the special people work. If you just slide Coke and pizza under the door, yeah. everything goes okay. Yeah. You know, so for me, this is inclusivity. But again, the core piece that I've seen answered in these ceremonies is the why. But why are we doing this again? I only started last week and you're six months into the project and it just feels like oh, I can't get my job done because all you guys are doing is working on this thing I don't get. And it helps you interface with that as well. So let's talk a bit about for want of a better word, policing the ceremony or, yeah. or maintaining the integrity of the ceremony. Because often there'll be helpful people who come along and say, well, this actually should be a, a massive report or you need 47 slides or why aren't you using this process or this racy or yeah. you know, something. How do you maintain the intent and the integrity of the ceremony? And is, is, is using the phrase ceremony your, your exit plan? Well, the, and the reason for the ceremony is, is because um, it neutralizes expectations at the start. And they're not sure what to expect. And that straight away changes the dynamic because you're not doing it right. It's not part of the conversation. But I read a book and it said that the thing you're doing has to be done this way and you're not doing it that way. Well, I just said it's a ceremony. Mm. I didn't say it was a That's thing. That's not the purpose of this meeting. It's a meeting point. Yeah. To, and basically, it's everyone has an equal say. So you go around and you hand the talking stick around. There are no slides. You will remain standing. 
And it came back to uh, a principle um, based in the, the old Commonwealth statutes where when the Privy Council met um, and when the Queen meets with ministers even today, mm. all the meetings are standing so they're faster. So agile principles are kind of cool, but yeah. for this conversation, the ceremony of standing and handing the talking stick is important because you want to equalise the voice in the room. And there may be times you've got to say, hey, listen, can we spend half an hour separately? But they've had their say and they're not silenced in the ceremony. And in many ways, you've identified people who, for whom there are there is angst. Right. You need to have a further conversation. You know, you're going to have to double down on some folks and some mm. probably some groups of folks. And, and you may want to sort of normalise that to a set of personas. And then you engage that persona group to get them comfortable. So that ceremony standing all together was great in what we would like to call the before times. Um, but in a, in a hybrid and in some cases fully remote world, how do we adapt the ceremony to, to you know, everyone sitting? Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that, that I really believe should hold true is that you must insist on the talking stick being handed for each participant. Mm. There, there's always going to be personalities in person or virtual who are more comfortable with the format or the medium. And I think it's super important to go, we are going around the room. You cannot hide. If you're on the call, you will contribute to this ceremony. Yeah. Because why else are you on the call? Yeah. Yeah. You could have an email later, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's either a discussion or it doesn't right. need to be. Right. So, so I think that that almost um, forced inclusion without getting too sort of dramatic, it's the ability to actually say, no, no, we really want to hear from you and your voice is welcome in this forum. Well, isn't it interesting you've used the phrase, the talking stick, which really harkens back to sitting around a campfire in a tribe and allowing everyone to have a turn. Again, with humanity, nothing is new. That's <laughs> These right. are the instincts. You know, some people will speak more freely, some won't. Often it's the most quiet people who have the best value to offer and you need a mechanism rather than a good intention to force them to speak in and some, the talking stick. In some way, it? shape or form, regardless of culture, everybody just wants to have their say. Yeah. So yeah. let them have their say and manage the consequences. Nice, nice. So that's, a, that's an interesting starting point. So, so we can implement our, our, um, our, our ceremony uh, tomorrow if we want to. Right. And, and as you say, the measure is not how many people turn up. The measure no. is that you do it. It's the no. input, not the output. If you measure, if you measure who turns up, you're not going to do it in weeks two, three, or four. Gotta, <laughs> It'll be, be very depressing. You've got to stick with it. <laughs> so, what what else can we share that that you've learnt along the way? One thing that I've heard a lot of is um, this technology change is expensive, and then I've heard a lot of this technology change is more expensive than what we expected. Mm. And, mm. and for me, there's there's fundamental root questions there. It's like, well, what were you expecting? Because I didn't give you a model. Yeah, yeah. And, and the answer, I didn't tell you what it would be. And the answer invariably is, well, obviously it has to be less. So, well, maybe, but over what time period, mm. right? And, and I found that the debate in most organisations is a length of time we prepare to be patient. Yeah. So over what time is it expensive or cheaper and how do we then articulate that? Well, one thing I've seen, and, and this is across many, many customers and, and also my own personal experience, is that if, if you implement the business outcome in your architecture, you're more likely to celebrate wins together with non-IT functions. And, and just to walk through this in a really simple Amazonian context, I've got an asset in my console, I tag my asset, but before I even start my project, I've actually sat down with my financial controller, I've mapped out that that asset will be called cost center and the cost center attribute is X. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I start up the equipment, their billing report shows exactly how they're going to disperse those costs through the financials. And, and for me, that ability for us just to lean in and say, hey, what sort of data would you like to see here? Because this is a magical IT project, but we mm. want to give you outcomes from, from the first time we cut code. And so that ability to really describe the business outcome at the time of architecture, I think is a really important piece. Well, I think there's a, a couple of big things to unpack there. Firstly is what is the business need? 
And it, it fascinates me that, that as IT practitioners, we often get so hung up on the technology choices and the, the package we're implementing or whether we liked it or not. That, that, you know, we say we're, we're implementing brand X of a CRM. We're doing, well, you're not just doing that. You're doing it for a reason. Like someone yep. in the board or at the C-level has said, what we, and this is sort of a fundamental mental model I use, yeah. what we are currently doing does not work sufficiently so that we're going to spend a lot of time and effort and right. angst to change it. And, and so there must be a reason. If you don't understand that reason, you're probably starting in a position of, of ignorance of, yes. of what the purpose is. And that then defines your success or failure. Yes, yes. And I think we can go further too, because I think also if we don't understand the persona who will benefit from the thing that you're working on, how are you ever going to engage your customer? Yeah. And I think that the world of it's just the CRM system we're upgrading, mm. I'm not sure that's really the right way to think about it. The business consequences without this, we can't contact customers. They can't ask for support. My key persona is X. I'm going to call X and let them know what we're doing and why we're doing it. And also that they can call me if there's a problem. And again, it's just that forced, it's, it's almost like forced inclusion. Yeah. We're part yeah. of this together. And I can guarantee you, you know, and I've seen this through customers as well, uh, you know, your mileage will vary. There's no question. Yeah. But I can guarantee you that as soon as that phone call is made, that person is invested in your success. Yeah, yeah. Because they suddenly realise what's in it for them. Exactly. There's something happening. Well, and something that's going to affect them. One, they can either choose to let it affect them or, or, or be part of the change. Right, right. But to come back to the, the financial piece, you know, in, in business, everything comes down to the money. <laughs> there's either funding or there's not. And, and funding is a, a proxy for the intent of the owners or the custodians of the business, be they private investors or private owners or a, a board in charge of shareholder outcomes and, mm. and the company uh, benefit. And and your point around being able to articulate the cost of an architecture, I think is very powerful because in my mind, at least somewhere that we need to get to is where as a, an IT function or as a business stakeholder, I can talk about the cost per transaction mm. per user. Mm whether it's a citizen, whether it's a commercial user, it doesn't really matter. But what does it cost to service a thing, to, yeah. to answer the phone or to do this? And, and some organizations know this. Like I, I came across one the other day. It was like, it was a bad story. It was like a story of this company that got rid of its IT support because every call to support cost them $9. So they just said, everyone's BYODing, forget about it. Yep. Not, would not recommend. Yep. But at least they knew what it cost. You know, there's, there's, I, I think the, the opportunity in the cloud, and we're always talking about tagging on the podcast, is you can design your application to a price point per transaction as well as to a business outcome. Right. You can have both. Right, right. And I think it, it, it pays dividends that you can't possibly imagine as well. Because at scale, when you're wildly successful, and let's just take a use case. Mm. I, I've invented this new thing, Simon, it's for students. And students are a growing part of the economy and it's, it's in English right now, but we've got some double bite objectives for foreign languages. And, and what you don't want at that point of success is finance saying, ooh, these costs are increasing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, it's a function that we have a million new subscribers. Mm. We should be celebrating. This no, it's a disaster. <laughs> we have to cut costs instead of, oh, I see that our subscriber base has increased. How long will this increasing cost be sustained by? Is there an architectural solution that can reduce that cost over time? Well, there is. And, and it allows us to co-design because we identify the pressure point that finance are feeling. Mm. And then mm. we can ask for more budget to go and solve that in perpetuity to stop that shock that they're experiencing. So it just changes the dynamics, I find. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's, uh, perception is a big part of it. And, and, and this comes back, I think, to the, the start, which was about that sort of more transparent view of the world. If I, if I cast my mind back to the very early days of AWS and, and I remember visiting customers and 
talking to developers and and C level. It was a weird time because you'd have because it was so new. You'd have very senior people and doers in the room together. It was wonderful. And I remember one one particular meeting where a, a, a developer was complaining to me about the cost of EBS. I was mm, like, look, mm. it's, it's too expensive per terabyte and you know, I don't understand how you can charge this. And I remember the CFO turning to this person going, do you have any idea the kinds of checks I'm writing to insert storage vendor here? This is cheap. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. And it was pure, and, and the, the developer was gobsmacked. It, yeah. was, it was purely because they never got to see the bill. And I love the fact that we see the bill because it means we can make decisions to affect the bill rather than the magic thing. It's like, you know, if you like, we're sitting in a big, beautiful office building at the moment, the lights are on. There's lots of lights on. I have no idea what that bill costs. So to me, it's free. Mm, mm, It ain't mm. free. (laughs) Mm. The thing also with bill transparency, and I think that's a really cool point, right? Because what I found is that developers and engineers are very, very well-intentioned if you give them the data to make a difference from. Yeah. And, And if you say speed of access is important, they're probably going to focus on that. They're going to wake up thinking about that. If, if you think about onboarding without any financial delays through credit card processing, they're probably going to focus on that efficiency because they know it's important. But if you share the bill, I've seen time and time again through customers where architects will own the change because they believe there's a cheaper, more efficient way to do it, which then averts costs in the future. So one of the things I think we really struggle with as IT practitioners is there's an opportunity cost for ignoring this. The cost of maintenance is important. You know, it's not just about the 30-day process, right? How do we think more holistically? Well, I think that holistic thinking is important too because you know, even if we're doing comparisons, it's, it's you know, if you're taking a very simplistic IaaS view and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm buying a server, it's got this much CPU memory. Well, you know, when, when I look in this magazine, I could just buy one from brand X for this amount. It doesn't seem the same. And that's because cost comparison is fiendishly difficult. Mm. From an executive standpoint, how how do you expect to see costs and what do you see being effective in terms of communicating the real cost versus the perceived cost? Yeah, I I think that's outcome-based. And that that is not meant to be like a a Management 101 soliloquy, but it is (laughs) outcome-based. But it has to be understood at the board level. Mm. It's like cybersecurity without sort of changing topics too too aggressively here. But, but, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, about 4% of boards – have IT or science backgrounds. Mm. And and they need a lot of assistance to understand the threat matrix, but also the costs of defending and maintaining. Otherwise, it's just spurious. I can't believe we're spending this much on this thing. Yeah. So so sometimes you've got to punch right through and get to that level of discomfort where you present to the board. And, and if you ask your execs today, hey, listen, can I present to the board once a year just on what we're working on? I, I think they're going to say yes. They're going to want to test and yeah. groom and make sure you can do some practice runs yeah and 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 you as an exec start to change your dynamics because you're now answering a very very senior business leader's question from a complete context of i have no idea what you do every day yeah, yeah. and it changes the way you explain things and let's 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 touch on on the board because i think it's interesting i've i've met a lot of folks for whom the board is a big scary almost deity like figure in their world and mm. we're with the board and we're going to meet with the board and oh my god and, and I think one of the things that, you know, many people on boards are quite impressive and have great track records, mm. et cetera, but ultimately they're just people. Mm. And, and they're people with not much time and they want to understand things really quickly. How as a practitioner can we communicate in a mm. way that they can hear rather mm. than what we understand? Yeah. Each of these board members will come from a different background. That's the first thing. So I think that the idea that the board is this organic 
voting block is probably a falsehood. Mm-hmm. Each individual person will have a particular point of passion. It could be remuneration. It could be audit. It could be governance. It could be reporting to the SEC or ASIC. They've got their thing. They've got their thing. Because the diversity of the board, as they each bring their thing, makes the whole greater than the sum of all parts, right? So, so we've got to be careful that we don't sort of mystify the board. And what you'll end up having is that there'll be different perspectives. There'll be a risk perspective, a governance perspective. In increasingly, there's a resilience perspective. Mm. And if you can start to think about the long-term interests of the business are served by these three decisions, and we're going to do these three things in the next 12 months, which will cost X, it's a pretty straightforward starting point to have some, oh, okay, long-term interests. I'm into that because I'm yeah. on the board. Yeah. So if you can bring it back to the horizon, and again, I come back to time, I think the disconnect we often have is that we're focused on a 90-day problem because we've just come from a meeting, but the board wants a different horizon. They want a different outlook and a different context, and the outlook is up and out. So I think about just drawing that T. I always mm-hmm. draw a T when I remind myself I've got to go up and out as mm-hmm. far as how I explain this problem and think about that long-term, think about shareholder value, think about return on investment, and also what we're avoiding. And so the last point I'll add there, Simon, is to say simply, look, if you are going to avoid a particular cost, then tell the board. Yeah, yeah. Because because often you don't want to ask for more money when you think it's off track. It's going to get a hard no. Mm. But if you tell them, hey, this money will be returned in two years' time, we're going to save X million dollars, it's right to stick to the course, maintain the rage, people. Cool. Simon said we should do this. It's got long-term best interest of the company. I can see we're going to save X million dollars. In- right, approved. That makes sense. Done. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's the horizon, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting too that, you know, boards often deal in very high-level concepts. And, and I think as, as technologists, often we struggle with that because we love the detail. Right. We love to get messy. We know how complicated things are. You know, like, you know, you said X, do you have any understanding of what it will take to get to that point? And, and I think in a way, it's our responsibility to help folks understand what it takes, mm. not in a, oh my God, it's so scary, it's going to be so hard, mm. but just to, to provide a, a realistic, no bulldust approach. Right. Because if I look at, um, you know, I... I I have a morbid enjoyment of reading uh, post-mortems of big projects that have failed. You know, there's always the big project that fails, there's a lot of press coverage, then some consultancy gets called in to do the what went wrong. If you actually read beyond the headlines, you actually read some really interesting stuff. Oh, this is, okay, this is governance that didn't work, never works this way, you know, these types of things. And, And I think it's useful to be able to communicate in a trusted way with a board the patterns that will and won't work. Mm rather than say, well, he, I'm, I'm setting you up for a billion-dollar failure. <laughs> I think that the other piece also, is, as, as I started sort of head down the track, and I'll head down the track more firmly now, is that if you have that time to ask what each member of the board is interested in, it's a courageous ask to say, will you spend 15 minutes for a coffee? But you will learn an enormous amount through that. So there's a little bit of risk because you've got to put yourself out there. You're yeah. going to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. But often they'll say, yeah, of course I've got 15 minutes. I mean – you know, your success is my success. Of course I'm going to tell well, you. Well, often you're providing a unique opportunity for them to hear from the ground and right. cutting through the, again, bulldust right. <laughs> right. Of, of many layers of management reports and stuff. It's just nice to hear from someone. Now, listen, let, let's, be, let's be careful, right? You, you, you don't want to message yeah. outside what you've already told people because yeah. you will lose trust there. Oh, yeah. Like, so telling the board something you haven't told anybody else, that, that will affect you personally, right? Correct. So let's be careful Correct. about using Correct. that opportunity. But this is what's important to you. And how can I communicate in the way that you can make fast decisions? That's really the, the, the core, the core fundamental question that as technologists we should get to, right? Um, but also do some history, do some research. I mean, 
become a LinkedIn stalker of your board mm, mm. Um, and understand their background because their background is diversity in the construct of that board function. It's not that they are a jack of all trades or a jill of all trades. And, and that allows, right, that allows that connection piece. Um, and the one piece that I think that, that I'd ask everybody to consider is, is patience is so important through this process. You will say things 20 times and it still won't cut through and that's okay because maybe what you're saying isn't that interesting to them. <laughs> it's an interesting point, isn't it? We, we, we like to think that what we say is interesting and important and is being heard. But is it saying the same thing 20 times or is it finding different ways to say things? How, yeah. do, we ba- how do we balance that? Uh, I, that I, I, I'm a fan of using different language in an iterative manner to, to see if the point will stick. And, and you are exploring language, you're exploring nuance, you're exploring impact and consequence, alert, not alarm, or alarm, not alert, you're mm-hmm. exploring. Mm-hmm. You're trying to find the way, and then once you find that way, you can lock in, and it will be different per board member, right? I remember a time also, the access to boards is important because you can bust myths. So, so I can think of an example, um, I won't age ourselves disgracefully, but it was, <laughs> it was in the 2000s. Oh, can we goodness, just get away with that? Okay, we can go with that. <laughs> we can get away with that. The turn of the century. Turn of the century. Um, just after the millennium calmed down and the clouds started to become important, um, I had a board member say, oh, here we're going with AWS. Yes, that's right. Well, you know, databases don't work there. I said, uh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't aware <laughs> of that databases don't work there. Um, now, now to, to, to let the people on the call understand, this, this is beyond S3, beyond EC2. It was, yeah. it was when EC2 and EBS came along, right? Yeah, so you had yeah. persistent storage not attached to the instance. Pretty right? fresh. Pretty fresh, but still. And what had happened was they were on a different board with an insurance company. They had received the technical report that a database server would never work on EBS because it's block storage. <laughs> so, 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 so I could then go through the process of, okay, well, where did you hear that from? And, and two outcomes, two outcomes. We had the team engage that insurance company because that was a myth that would slow all of us down. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And we also said, well, actually, here's the way we would solve that problem. We think it's going to work okay. So there's a lot of intelligence, that human intelligence gathering as well through this process. And so I think the, the, the building a shared understanding, I think, is the key takeaway here. And again, that's long-term thinking, isn't it? You've got to be patient. Yeah. Which is hard if you're trying to work in 90-day increments. <laughs> I think, but if you just join the 90-day increments, you'll eventually get to horizon where that person actually cares about what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to find their, find their attention attention span. So before we close, what else should we riff about? Ian, what do you, what do you want to touch off before we, before we wind up? Is, it, is there a point where we could start to talk about multi-region architectures, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 We've and, gone off the track of business here. <laughs> Well, okay, let's, let's then let's, well, so multi-region architectures are a thing mm. and are buildable mm. and, and it's interesting in, in the cloud, they're, I'd say not complex, but complicated, um, relatively speaking to building a single region architecture, but compared to building a multi-region equivalent in the pre-cloud days, mm. it is like you know, orders of magnitude easier, mm. but let's come back to the first question. Why? Yeah, exactly. And Why would I want to do such a thing? And you've, you've, you've fallen into my cunning oh, trap, no, Simon. You've so, done it. So, so the conversation I find that people respond to the best today is that we're making some decisions to ensure our business is more resilient in the future. Resiliency may have an attribute called security or privacy. There could be a spill or a leak. There could be a, a hack or some sort of prevention of service through DDoS. But if we're going to think about resiliency, it actually removes the emotional burden that those decision makers have mm. because they're peppered by security, ransomware, encryption, privacy, data spill, data hack. They're, they're peppered through all their periodicals about all these scary, scary. things. <laughs> so if you just hit them with the scariest thing they just read, 
there's, there's going to be an argument of some sort. Yeah. And it normally is, why did you bring this to me now? And how yeah. come you didn't solve it before you brought it to me? Yeah, yeah. Because it's always that, you know, I feel surprised. And the hardest thing is that there are so many things that happen right now today we must respond to. It's always a surprise, so therefore everybody feels uncomfortable. But if we have a program of resilience with attributes, security, privacy, and otherwise, and we think about choices the business can make, a choice is multi-region, a choice is multi-AZ, here is how we've thought about the risks, therefore we're doing X. That's exactly how boards make decisions. They go through a risk management process. Correct. So, so one of the things that I think about is that in that conversation about multi-region, we can transform it to a business outcome by saying, well, actually, what's the high-level term? My personal opinion, resilience. Mileage will vary. I'm okay to be wrong on that. How do you bring it up a level and say, improving this over time is our core objective. We will make decisions every 90 days to achieve that outcome. Here are the guardrails within which we'll operate. If anything pops outside the guardrails, we'll come back for reapproval. Then you can move fast, but people actually actually know what you're working. Yeah, on. they know they know what you're doing, yeah. and and I think that that sort of threat matrix is is really important because at, at a board level, at least, there are so many things to worry about, and right. and we have to remember that you know one of the the key concepts of marketing in all industries is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Right. But you want to say, oh, scary bad thing could happen. It could happen to you. Um, without X, you will be vulnerable, et cetera. And so cutting through that noise is is tough for a lot of folks, particularly if you're not a practitioner. 100%. Like, you know, I can I can cut through FUD on on um, on IT. Um, a lot harder for me to cut through FUD on health or right. you know, something, a domain yeah. I have nothing to do with. I, right. I can't really yeah. give yeah. you an yeah. answer. Yeah. And, and I think one of the challenges for boards is they're dealing with so many just in the IT realms, fuddy type things that, that are real or unreal or some, some mix in between. But, you know, is, is multi-region solving for ransomware? Is it solving right. for phishing and spear right. phishing and information leaks, et cetera? And it really is an end, not an all conversation. And that's, that's where the challenge comes in. Right. I agree. I agree. And I think the, the piece to cut through of that is that even with a multi-region architecture, that your colleague just told you about flying business class somewhere, even with that, there is still residual risk. Let me explain. And, and if we can always have a think about, but this is not the silver bullet you were imagining. Mm, mm-hmm. It's it's <laughs> not the droid you're looking for. Exactly. Right? There is no such thing. And, 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 and without getting too um, prescriptive and to stay pragmatic, the residual risk is X, even if we make this decision, we reduce these, but we maintain these. Is it really worth the investment? To your point, if it's complex through that particular architecture as a cost of maintenance, maybe there's a no today. But if it's simple to maintain over the next 10 years, maybe it's an emphatic yes today. But always think about that residual risk. Because if you don't, someone will replace you yeah. who can yeah. communicate that residual that risk. risk. Exactly. Because just telling everybody that this is the everything's okay alarm <laughs> isn't going to... Well, well, I think this comes back to the, that mental model of whether you want to say, trust me, or you want to say, let me show you. 100%. And this is, you know, the the idea of testing and 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 experimentation and running things like you know, chaos engineering and stuff like that. But even you know, you know, we're seeing very commonly, you know, ransomware is really affecting large organisations. Well, you know, could we restore everything from backup? Oh, I'm sure we could. Mm. Well, show me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you got that uh, moment in the best of times, yeah. what's going to happen in the worst of times? Well, and, and and again, the function there is time, right? Yeah. You know you. You get a question in a minute or in a memo or in an email, not a fax these days. You get the question and it's really serious because it's probably got a question mark in our context <laughs> on it, right? And it's a serious question. If, if you answer that without looking around the corner, 
you're going to have a really hard time. Mm, mm. Because what you want to say is the answer is a maybe. It's maybe not a yes or a no. It may not be a yes or a no. It could be a maybe. And you want to explain that, yeah, sure, we can back up. We have 100% availability of all the data we've had over the last 90 days. The time required to do that, that was six months. Yep, yep. For these reasons, yep. if you want us to prioritize that, we can. And here's, here's where we can get you to. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's the challenge again of, of mindset and, you know, wanting as technologists, we like to live in a digital world. It's ones and zeros. Yes. You know, it's, it's very precise. Yes. And so if you ask me a question, I'll give you an answer to that question. Absolutely. Oh, not, not just, I'll give you the answer. The answer. <laughs> definitive. Definitive answer. And, and when we're doing that, I would ask everybody to have a think about this. Are we taking choice off the table when we answer that question so mm. well? Mm. And does that choice concern others that we're trying to exercise power? And is there a way to explain choice and still get the outcome you need yeah. by involving other people in that process? Yeah, it's a long-term thinking piece there, that's for sure. Ian, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing some wisdom. It's a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.